Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 26, 2019, including Project xCloud is having a preview program that you can get in on, Anthem is pretty much an awful game that's never going to get better, and I'm going to talk spoilers about Gears 5. All that and so much more awaits you right now, you stupid freak. So as I just mentioned, um, this will be the week where I finally talk about all the Gears 5 kind of review spoilery stuff, which I will tack on to the end of the episode. So if you don't want to listen to that, don't listen to it. If you don't have the game spoiled for you, of course, maybe just save it for another day. And that way, it's just kind of there at the end for only those who want it. I finally beat the game this week, so I'm ready to talk about all the juicy spoiler details. And I hope that you're looking forward to hearing some of it. And maybe it will spark some conversation and you'll want to leave a comment. Maybe you'll want to leave me five stars on iTunes. Maybe you'll want to leave me two stars on Stitcher. Maybe you'll want to leave me a nice comment on YouTube. I don't know. The choice is up to you. There are many a way you can contact me about this show via varying social media platforms and, and podcast platforms, which only make it all the more embarrassing that no one reaches out to me about this show. Anyway, let's jump into this week's uh, short, slow, painful news, news week, news cycle, news. All right. First off, contrary to last week's news story about Anthem doing something with like new content or something, it seems like Bioware is pretty much just abandoning their current plan for post launch content. So it looks like Bioware's Anthem has had future content additions put on ice for the foreseeable future due to the studio's desire to shift focus to game balancing and mechanic tuning and things like that. In a blog post, Bioware's head of live services, Chad Robertson, announced that the decision was made in response to community feedback. He continues, quote, In order to address these long-range plans, we are moving away from act structures for updates, Robertson continued. Instead, we have additional seasonal updates planned for this year that we think players will enjoy. These events will deliver challenges and chases similar to what you've seen and are built around some fun themes we're bringing into the game. So, I don't understand. Last week, they were talking about, like, new content for Anthem. This week, they're talking about basically abandoning the content and then just, like, adding, like, mechanical tuning and, like, kind of seasonal updates that don't really do much i just anthem's dead uh, no one likes it it didn't do very well i mean it sold incredibly well at first but the player base has just dropped off instantly and i mean they're just they're just fulfilling their obligation to keep the game alive since it is a game as a game as a service and it is still new they just they can't just abandon it but this is like doing the bare minimum to like say we didn't abandon the project while abandoning the project i i just I don't know how any of this is going to save the game if the game just isn't fun to play. To me, it sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like they're Fortnite, Fortniteing the game like as they go. Like, they're just building the game as you play it. I read this as, like, they're admitting the game just wasn't fun to play, and they're rebuilding the core mechanics of it while it's out in the wild and, and not in beta, not in preview. It's just an actual game people spent money on six months ago that now they're addressing isn't a fun game to play, so... Uh, if you still are holding on to Anthem, good for you, but that's that's what that's what you're getting. That's what's happening for you. But our next story is actually an interesting one, which is that Xbox is launching a public program for Project X Cloud, which you can get in on. 
Microsoft will offer this preview program for those interested in trying out Project X Cloud. The preview will take place in October, and it's available for players in the U.S., U.K., and in Korea as well. Interested gamers can sign up now, and Microsoft will be sending out select invites in the coming weeks. What you need to do to qualify for this preview program is have an Android device running Android 6.0 or higher, and that has Bluetooth 4.0 enabled. Additionally, you'll need to have a Bluetooth-enabled Xbox controller, so those first-wave Xbox One gamepads won't work. Work. Other than that, uh, just download the Xbox streaming app that's coming soon, have some reliable internet speed, and an email address that you can use to sign up, and you'll be all good to go. During the preview, the following games will be available for the service, and they are as follows, Halo 5 Guardians, Gears 5, Killer Instinct, and Sea of Thieves. A good assortment of games that uh, test of varying aspects of gaming, as well as uh, st- streaming kind of hurdles as well you know you get like your twitchy fps you got your like shared world adventure big style game you got your third person cover base kind of high tech fidelity game and then you got like your kind of button like combo-y crucial kind of chaining of a of events killer instinct fighting game god i butchered that but you know what i mean like a a game where it's like really twitch based and every moment and the timing and kind of Uh, comboing really makes a difference so that'll really test the kind of importance and the kind of uh, fidelity of xcloud and and see if it could really hold up so uh, good on microsoft for really i mean obviously these are all microsoft games but good on them for really choosing an assortment of genres that really test these kinds of different things that players might have um, concern wise going into trying out a new streaming service the fact that they're willing to show like the all these types of games shows that they're pretty confident in the technology uh, and that they think players will be really impressed as well. So I'm excited for this. I, I already signed up for the beta. You can absolutely do so too. Just just Google like Project X Cloud preview program and uh, you'll find it pretty easily. I don't know if the preview will ever come to iOS. So at the for the time being, you're just going to have to have an Android device and stop being, a, stop being a little idiot. But yeah, I mean, this is exciting stuff. This is actually coming to fruition xcloud's a real thing and it's happening soon i mean we just keep focusing i feel like as xbox fans we keep focusing on project scarlet and the next generation of xbox and we keep forgetting project xcloud is actually a big part of you know where xbox is heading next and it this is really close it's on the horizon and i wouldn't be surprised if this is really like in everyone's hand by early next year so definitely take advantage of this if it's something you're interested in if not i mean it's just it's just cool tech to try out and it's free to do so so Go for it. Why not? Our next story is that Microsoft uh, has announced that Xbox consoles will be carbon neutral going forward, or at least uh, a large amount of them. So Microsoft has joined with a new United Nations initiative called Playing for the Planet Alliance, which aims to make 825,000 new Xbox consoles carbon neutral. The news comes shortly after hearing that Sony has embarked on a similar endeavor to include features on PS5 that will reduce energy consumption heavily. Additionally, companies such as Twitch, Google Stadia, Rovio, Ubisoft, and much more are on board with this new initiative, uh, also planning similar kind of um, deals to help you know, go green and whatnot. Uh, Microsoft's new console will be the first carbon neutral console ever made, although it's unclear if this is referring to the Xbox One or the Project Scarlet or maybe a combination of both. Um, when you really look at the grand scheme of things, 825,000 might sound like a lot of Xbox consoles. It's really not. I mean, Scarlet will likely sell like a million consoles in like a day or two when it comes out. So 
just keep that in mind for context. This quote comes from Phil Spencer. He says, climate change is impacting each industry in every sector, and we believe technology can play a critical role in enabling and empowering the response to this challenge. Initiatives like our Microsoft Build a Better World campaign and Carbon Neutral Xbox Pilot provide a great opportunity to tap into Microsoft's technology, sustainability, and gaming community to make a difference in this key area of our business. So yeah, this is basically let's uh, capitalize on this PR opportunity or you know, kind of spin it as a save the planet message. I mean, is this technically a good thing? Yeah. But like I said, 825,000 Xbox consoles, that's not really going to make a huge difference. Um, so if that's really all they're aiming to do, then like that's not really a big deal. Um, however, if this is an initiative to really start making Xbox's carbon neutral going on from like from here on out, that'll be pretty impressive. That'll be great. But this isn't really like interesting gamer news. This is just a uh, like I said, kind of a, a PR stunt. So cool. Now you can feel better about sitting inside all day and playing your Xbox, knowing that you're saving the environment. Next up, we've got the Xbox mobile app uh, has added some new features that are really going to improve things on iOS and Android. Uh, the Xbox app just got a very big update that now lets players uh, use voice chat directly from their iOS or Android device using the Xbox app. Additionally, users can now send photos and videos from their phones by tapping on the plus icon in the messaging tab. This marks a big turning point for the app as Microsoft continues to expand functionality for Xbox Live services to a mobile platform, which will no doubt be useful in the coming months as Project X Cloud starts to roll out. As a side note, Xbox uh, as a side note, one guide has been disabled for the time being through the app. Uh, Microsoft plans to reintroduce it at some point, although they haven't really said anything about when or how that's going to happen. So this is a big one just because Project X Cloud, right? So this this makes it even easier now for people to connect and engage and message and voice chat on Xbox Live, whether they're playing on PC, Xbox One, or you know on their phone or tablet through Project X Cloud. The reason why this is really a big thing uh, is because Xbox needs a way to compete more with like the likes of Discord. I personally, I'm, I'm new to Discord. I don't really use it a lot. I know what it is. It's, it, but it's just, it's not my my thing. Um, however, there's no denying it's massive boom in popularity, and it's where a lot of younger gamers, in particular, are starting to go to chat and, and, and whatnot when they play games, especially as we see this rise of uh, PC gaming culture. So it's important for Microsoft to really stay kind of agile and like on top of this shit if they want to have their messaging services, their voice chat services through Xbox Live kind of remain relevant and, and competitive. Um, so this is a really good first step because now, you know, you'll be able to do voice chat rather, again, regardless of what piece of hardware you're using, which just makes it easier. Uh, but at the same time, they need more like live chat, kind of like stream chat kind of features like Discord has to really compete with this stuff. But again, this is I see this really as a, a good move for Project X Cloud so that you'll be able to be playing your your Halo 5 on your phone through xCloud and, and also be able to do party chat from your phone and all that good stuff because uh, I guess whatever reason you like playing games on a tiny screen and having a low battery life. But, I mean, this is a really impressive feat. I, I, or maybe not so much that as a, f a feature I would have expected to have come to this app years ago. And just, I don't know, it's, it's nice that it's finally here, right? Although, if you want to be a little more cynical, you could look at this as a too little, too late kind of scenario. Um, because again, I mean, just, you have things like discord that have just eaten up the community at this point, And I don't know that it'll be easier to switch. I, I don't understand. This is a good example of like when I don't understand the gaming community at all. And I'm not embarrassed to admit this. Like, I don't understand 
when something just it seems like there's this weird shift where like a product or a service or a game comes out and it just like slowly builds this mob mentality of like this is a superior product or service and we will never let anything else compete with it. And I see Discord as one of those things where it's like I don't really see personally the value of Discord and maybe that's my own, you know, shortcoming, my own fault. But I feel like, you know, like same thing with Twitch versus versus Mixer. There's just this weird thing where like once a platform has gained its popularity, audiences just refuse to even acknowledge a potential competitor. And I think that's a, a problem Microsoft has a lot with products and services they make is they're always one, really late to the market, two, not aggressive enough in their marketing and campaigning, which is why it was so surprising when Microsoft got Ninja on, on Mixer because um, it's such such an unlike them kind of move to make. Uh, but three, it's just like, it just seems like audiences are so resistant to ever even think to themselves, you know, I should go look at what the competition is doing because maybe it's better than the product I'm using right now. But I guess, you know, there's also that mentality of if you like the product, the service you're using, and there's nothing wrong with it, why even bother looking around? But I just don't see this really taking off for Microsoft as much as, uh, despite, you know, how excited I am for this feature to be coming and, and how, like, robust and, and good I think it is for uh, the Xbox app. But that's kind of a long-winded, like, uh, just following a stupid tangent of thought um, as I go, so just uh, ignore all that if you think it's incoherent, as it probably is. But if you're looking to voice chat with a couple little boys while you play some Call of Duty, now now you can do it on your iPhone and or Android. Next up, we've got Fortnite and Batman crossing over, which makes me want to throw up in my mouth because I hate everything about that that statement I just made. So you know. Batman's coming to Fortnite. So beginning on September 21st, which was days ago, uh, players can obtain a variety of skins, items, and other challenges, all themed in dealing with Batman. During the event, the titled town area of the map will be turned into Gotham City. I mean, that's basically the, the bulk of it. It's not like a new season of Fortnite with a ton of Batman shit. It's like a temporary Batman event. This, this makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like Batman's one of those things. Batman really appeals to kids. I don't know why. I feel like there's just a weird thing about Batman. I, from my own anecdotal experience, it just seems like being in the age range of like 8 to 12 is just really appealing for Batman. I don't I don't get it. But yeah, Batman makes perfect sense for Fortnite because Batman's stupid, Fortnite's stupid, and um everything is stupid. But if yeah, if you want to if you want to do some Batman shit while you're playing Fortnite, you can do that. It's cool if you have fun with that. That's just again, this whole news week isn't like groundbreaking news that we can really dive into and dissect. It's just it's stupid shit like Minecraft getting a character creator, which is our next story. Uh, so Minecraft is getting a character creator that allows customization for avatar hair, skin, and body shape. This new feature will add over 100 free customization items alongside extra accessories created by the Minecraft team and available for purchase. The new customization features promise to be rather robust, extending far beyond what players have previously been able to do with simple customization skins that were created outside the game and then imported. The feature is only available right now for the beta version of the Xbox One game, Windows 10, and Android, but will soon come to Minecraft Earth, the iOS version of the game, and the Nintendo Switch version of the game. So, uh, suck it, PlayStation. Again, just an yet another Minecraft Batman story of, like, there's some new news, but is it interesting? Is there anything to look into here? Not really, but uh, I, I thought I'd mash up all the kids' game stories back to back to back, although... Not not to speak ill of Minecraft. I like Minecraft. I have a soft spot for Minecraft. It's it's not a game I'm really into playing, but it's a game I respect a lot. And I, I appreciate the the kind of um, fervor and popularity of that game because I, I don't know, it's just it's a cool game. Anyway, 
uh, wrapping up this week's story with a, a little bit of announcement. If for whatever reason you're in the market for an Xbox One. So there's a new Xbox One Forza Horizon 4 Lego Speed Champions bundle. Uh, and there's two options for this bundle. One is the Xbox One S, which retails for 300 bucks, And the other one is an Xbox One X which retails for 500 bucks. So this is what they include. So you get, you choose either the One X or the One S with a one terabyte hard drive and a matching Xbox wireless controller. The bundle comes with Forza Horizon 4 along with the Lego Speed Champions expansion pack, which is like an $80 value apparently, which will give you access, of course, and to play anywhere title on both the Xbox One and Windows 10. You also get a one month subscription to Game Pass and a one month subscription to Xbox Live Gold. So, I mean, it's like a, might as well just call that Game Pass Ultimate, but it's like $500, $600 of stuff for the One X or $400 for the One S. So nice way to save yourself um, $80 to $100 if for whatever reason you're specifically planning on buying all those items in one. The bundles don't like look cool. There's no like skins on the Xbox. It's not like one of those cool limited edition bundles. But if you're looking to buy an Xbox One, maybe you're looking to upgrade to a One X. Maybe you're looking to downgrade to a One S. Maybe you're looking to upgrade to a one at f and that's gonna do it for our news this week i'm sorry again uh, it's just such a boring ass slow news week i kept refreshing all the websites i i consult for news and i kept hoping something big and meaty would drop so that we could really dissect uh, but this week that just wasn't the case so let's run through the new games of the week and and some uh, all that those kind of ending segments and then we'll jump into the interesting stuff this week which is the gears five discussion so Real real quick, first, um, this week coming out on Xbox One, we have 11 new games hitting the store uh, that are worth mentioning via Xbox Wire. And those are The Surge 2, which is an Xbox One X enhanced game. I've been hearing a lot about this game, but I still know what it is. Still haven't taken the two minutes to watch a trailer for it and just get an idea of it. But judging by the screenshot... I can tell you it's absolutely a game in the Fallout universe. It's a con- it's a crossover between Fallout and Crisis, and you play in the forest, but you fight dinosaurs pretty much like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. But the reason why it's called The Surge um, is because um, there's, this, there's this great technological movement where um, the surge happened, and then all of, all of robot life um, ceased to be good and started being bad. So you have to fight all the bad robots, um, but you, for some fucking reason, despite robots being so technologically advanced, you still fight with spears, kind of like the olden days. So this is a game that's, I, I think, a little offensive to Native American groups because it's kind of saying that they're robotic in nature and that their culture was a little robotic and, and kind of stale and sterile, uh, which I don't really respect because, you know, I'm a very... I'm a very cultured person. I'm a very progressive person. I respect everyone's culture except my own. Um, and I just really don't appreciate uh, game developers, you know, kind of capitalizing on someone else's culture and bastardizing it just to make a quick buck. So if you're a heathen, if you're a, a, um, if you're a, if you're a bigot, if you're a piece of shit, go play The Surge 2. Uh, otherwise, be a rational human being and play The Surge 1. Uh, next up, we've got Contra Rogue Corpse. Uh, this game apparently sucks dick. It's a new Contra game. It is Xbox One X Enhanced, which I believe is what makes the game bad. But yeah, reviews for this game are weak as shit. It looks like Konami just slapped the Contra logo on this really shitty shooting game, uh, which is quite unfortunate because Contra the Contra series is one of my favorite like old classic game uh, shooting game series. So in fact, I've actually been playing a lot of Contra on the Sega Genesis Mini, uh, which I won't talk about because it's irrelevant to Xbox. 
But um, yeah, this game apparently sucks. And judging by the screenshot, you know, I haven't played it myself, but judging by the screenshot, the thing that makes it suck is that normally in a Contra game, you run from left to right. It looks like you go the other way around. It looks like you're going to be running to the left. So it's going to be really unintuitive for people who've played Contra before. The other thing is there's a lot of explosions and a lot of smoke, which means that, you know, the game's probably just unfinished. It looks like they're just using a lot of smoke effects to cover up the lack of graphics. Additionally, the game just looks like shit. Um, it looks like you play as like a strong, strong white man with a gun, which is just, you know, again, a symbol for imperialism, uh, which I'm just really not about because, you know, I'm such a progressive, I'm such a bleeding heart liberal. And I really think that white people don't deserve representation in video games anymore because we really need to give a way to like native Americans and robots and kind of give them a voice in gaming. Um, our next game is called Rex Rocket. It's like Metroid. It's like an 8-bit game, but you definitely play as Princess Leia from Star Wars, according to the screenshot. Um, the health bar looks exactly like Mega Man, so I would assume Dr. Wily's somehow involved in the story. There are these green blobs falling everywhere from the sky, It's so it's probably has some kind of Nickelodeon slime tie-in as well on that. So if you're a huge fan of Star Wars, if you like games that are releasing on September 25th, which is today, uh, the day I'm recording this if you like games uh with Mega Man nods to it this is a game i'm gonna have to in, in, kind of force you to play um but again it's it's graphics are shitty it's an eight big game it's an indie game and you know how i'm all about supporting big business so our next game is gonna be construction plus uh more like construction dumbass because this game looks dumb you play it's like zoo tycoon but you, you construct so um there's like a clown building there's like a building shaped like a bong there's a building shaped like an arcade. There's a building shaped like a building. And essentially what you're going to do is you're going to build armies of buildings um, and just construct and construct. But like, unlike Zoo Tycoon or Roller Coaster Tycoon, you're not going to have guests who are really enjoying the park you're building. You're just going to build buildings. So it's kind of a stupid game, but it's called Construction Plus, which at least is better than just classic construction because this game has the plus features. Um, which means it works very well on the iPhone. Um, our next game is called Rage 2 Rise of Ghosts, which I think is just a expansion to Rage 2. This is Xbox One X Enhanced, which means it's a very sophisticated game. Um, unlike Rage 1 or Rage 2, no Rise of Ghosts, this game is likely going to uh, really push the boundaries of what Rage can be because judging by the screenshot, you've got this enemy that looks enraged um, and... Uh, fuck, I'm just not having it today. All right, next game is called FIFA 20. This is a game where you play soccer, which fucking sucks. It's Xbox One X Enhanced. And then we got Fight and Rage. Fight and Rage is a fighting game that's in 16-bit art style. You play as an anime boy. You know how I feel about anime boys. Fuck that game. It's very perverted. Probably has a bunch of, of extreme beach volleyball, booby bouncing kind of gross stuff. So play that if you're a fucking heathen. And then we got Doug Flutie's Maximum Football. This is like, so you know Madden, the other week we were talking about the MPD, and we talked about how Madden always sells extremely well in its first month, and how Madden, Madden is just such a mega franchise. Um, so Doug Flutie's Maximum Football is like Madden, but if it wasn't popular, if it didn't have all the licensing, if it didn't have good graphics, good physics, and the reason why I really am going to stress you play this game is because I am a huge fan, you know, as someone who loves the Sonic the Hedgehog series, I am a huge fan of gimped experiences, of really cheating yourself, of quality gaming and um therefore i really think you should play that um it's not like the blitz series it's not like wacky shit where you like fight and do stupid stuff on the football field it's very much a semi football game 
but it's cheap, it's dumb, it's indie, and it's uh, Doug Flutie. So whoever the fuck that is, you can go play his game. Next game is called Code Vein. It's 1X Enhanced. I'm pretty sure this came out the other week. I'm pretty sure I've already seen these anime kids. They have massive swords. They wear like these um, these hazmat suits. They look fucking retarded. They look so stupid. They look so anime. Their hair is so well manicured despite living in this post-apocalyptic world. I can't believe there are sweaty little boys that love anime this much. You guys are disgusting. Your existence is meaningless. And that game is stupid. Our next game is called Mining Rail 2. This is a game where you play as Evil Knievel. Uh, and you play in these minecarts kind of like Donkey Kong. Honestly, this looks like the kind of crossover to like um, Donkey Kong Country and Farming Simulator. So that looks pretty cool, actually. It looks like you, you're going to... Xbox One X enhanced, by the way. Uh, but you're going to drive these mine carts uh, on these tracks and kind of race and do stupid shit. That actually looks like it might be a might be a fun game. Also, there's a crane on the side. And when I say crane, I mean the bird, not the construction equipment. So if you're a really big fan of of, of Mother Nature and animals, that's going to be a good game to check out. And then our wrap-up game is The Adventures of Elena Temple. Elena Temple. Elena Temple. Elena Temple. Whatever. This game comes out on September 27th, so you're going to have to wait a day to play it. But it's... um an 8-bit game that's played on a computer screen. It's puzzling. It's indie. It's stupid. Don't play it. Don't buy it. Don't waste your time. And then for Games with Gold this month, you know, last week of September, we've got, again, just to reiterate, Hitman the Complete First Season available on Xbox One. Uh, you have that till September 30th. Uh, we uh, we were here. You have that till October 15th, so still a little bit longer to play that. And on the 360 backwards compatibility front, we've got Earth Defense Force, which is already gone as of September 15th. So if you didn't download that, you're a fucking idiot. You missed out. And then for the remainder of the month, we have Tekken Tag Tournament 2, which is a fighting game. So if you like anime fights, that's a good game to play. And that will do it for this week's podcast, Sans, our Gears 5 discussion, which is what I've been playing, other than the Sega Genesis Mini, of course. So just a second. Let's let's take a, a brief message from our sponsors. So when thinking about how to approach this Gears 5 discussion, I thought, you know, what kind of angle should I take, you know? And I think kind of running along with a little bit of what I was saying last week, the angle in which I want to approach how I talk about this game is, is Gears 5 an evolution of the Gears formula? Is it a step in like an evolutionary direction for this franchise and for Xbox first party games going forward. Uh, and of course, just as a preface, this is all spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. We're going to talk about the end of the game, all the big details. So again, click off if you don't care or if you if you care about having that spoiled and stay here if you don't give a shit or if you've already beaten the game. Um, and so anyway, the conclusion I came to is yes and no. Gears 5 is the kind of evolution that Gears of War needs in order to kind of reinvent the franchise. Not that it was growing stale, but, you know, if you're out there trying to, like, make the 2018 God of War equivalent of a Gears 5, then in a sense, yes, Gears 5 does that. And then in another sense, it doesn't. But, and this might just sound like a defense for the game, but I don't think Gears 5 needs to be that. I don't think any game necessarily needs to be that. I think... Uh, let me, let me get this out there. I am a big fan of, of Sony's first-party output. Despite being an Xbox fan, I also very much enjoy the PlayStation, and I very much enjoy the PlayStation-exclusive lineup. And I think there's no doubt that the games industry has been forever changed by the marks left by Sony's 
very talented first party studios. Your Naughty Dogs, your Santa Monica's, your um, Sucker Punches, and these studios are really pushing the boundaries of storytelling and immersive gameplay. And I think what a thing that's happened is we've started to look at Sony's portfolio of first party games as next gen games, uh, and we start to look at what Xbox does, which seems to be kind of more what Xbox has traditionally been as kind of stale and dated. And I don't think that's a fair comparison because honestly, I think what Xbox does with their games is pretty much what, the, what Nintendo does with their games. And what I mean by that is like, again, a game like Zelda Breath of the Wild or Mario Odyssey could have run on the Wii U. In fact, they were originally Wii U games that got ported during development over to Switch. And that's why we think of them as Switch games. In fact, you know, if Nintendo were up to date with hardware back during the Wii era, if you know, if, if the Wii was what the 360 and PS3 were power-wise, a game like Mario Odyssey could have easily been pulled off in 2007, 2008, you know, back when Mario Galaxy was around. So again, like, to put this in the context, Nintendo never, they always evolve creatively in terms of mechanics with their games, but in terms of like scope and pushing the boundaries of what a game can be, Nintendo never makes a game that I would say is quote, next generation, especially in the past like 15 years. I don't think Nintendo's making games now that like you couldn't have possibly seen 10, 15 years ago. I mean, they've been working with the same kinds of concepts that could have easily fit across the past three generations of hardware. Um, and what I mean by that, I mean, in, if you look over at Xbox, you could say something similar, at least between the last two generations, which is that, you know, obviously each Halo game or Gears of War game looks prettier than the last. But at the end of the day, Halo and Gears are still Halo and Gears, right? But Sony's kind of muddied this conversation a little bit because Gears of War 1, 2, and 3 compared to Gears of War 2018 or Jack and Daxter and Crash Bandicoot compared to Uncharted and The Last of Us are like not even remotely comparable. A game like Crash Bandicoot makes sense for PlayStation 1, but something like The Last of Us, now that could never have happened on the PlayStation 1 or the PlayStation 2, right? Because those games are so next generation, is, and that's how we think of them. But So I think Sony's kind of, you know, not intentionally, not in a bad way, but just kind of consequently, unintentionally, kind of changed the conversation where now like if a game doesn't do for its franchise or its first party its first party portfolio, what like a Gears of War 2018's done or what like a Spider-Man 2018 or a Uncharted 4 has done, then we suddenly look at it like, man, this game's a little dated or something. There's something about it that's a little dated. I don't buy that. And so let's jump into Gears 5 with that little bit of a tangent preface out of the way to say that, so Gears 5, from a gameplay perspective, evolves the mechanics a lot, a lot more than I think people are giving it credit for Story-wise, acting-wise, cinematic-wise, I think it also evolves the Gears story a lot. And the reason why I feel like I can speak on this so much is because I've said on the show before, I was historically not a big Gears of War fan, right? So I've kind of only retroactively gotten into the franchise within the past few years. I just played Gears 2. Um, I mean, I played Gears 2 half of it years ago when it was new, but I just played Gears 2 through to the end for the very first time this past summer. So a lot of people will tell you Gears of War 5 or Gears 5 is just like every other Gears 5. It's more Gears 5 for better or for worse. I will tell you as someone who just played through Gears 2, Gears 5 is nothing like Gears of War 1 or 2 or 3. It is a huge evolution. It's a big step up. When you're comparing 2 to 5 or 3 to 5 or or 4 to 1 or whatever you want to do, Gears of War has evolved a lot. And I think it's easy to not think that 
if you've only played Gears of War, like when a new one comes out, I play it and then I forget about it until the next one happens. I could see why you think that because yes, it's still a cover-based third-person shooter. It is not the most mind-blowing game in terms of scope and scale and things like that. So it's like, because when you pick it up, it feels like Gears of War, it might be easy for you to muddy up and have your nostalgia kind of make you think that what you're playing is just more of that, that franchise you played before, again, for better or for worse. But I really will contest that as someone who's freshly familiar with the older entries because I've been playing them recently. Gears 5 is a huge evolution. And I'm not even just talking about like, yeah, I mean, yes, like the the camera controls, the cover mechanics, the shooting, all those things, they feel very evolved, very polished, very updated, very well balanced, absolutely. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about everything from, you know, in Acts 2 and 3 when you're doing a lot of that like, semi-open world stuff when you're on the skiff exploring doing side content just the kind of constant interaction between the characters the game's never quiet you know it's not the game is literally never quiet the characters are always talking the story is always continuing kind of like you would see in a last of us or an uncharted um and and these kinds of uh, just new updates were like just there's just so many new features in the game you have jack and all the new mechanics he provides like i said you have the open world stuff you have the side content stuff you have the real push for story gears war has always been a story driven franchise but in gears 5 more so than any other entry in the series the the story is so up front and center and the in the in the story is always being pushed further it's not even like for example, like you can play like a Gears 1 or 2 and, and the settings are kind of stale, right? Because each act, sure, you go to a variety of locales, but they all look pretty similar. They're all pretty boring, pretty gray and muddied out and washed out color-wise. But play Gears 5. You go to so many different environments and they all help serve the narrative. It's not just like, you know, a one-day story where there's this battle going on. You're trying to do this one thing. It's like every every aspect of the, the world design, the level design, the locales you visit, the activities, the events, the big set pieces, they all very specifically and very intricately serve the narrative of the game, which I think that in itself is a very next generation concept. Being able to really marry and pair together those ideas of gameplay and set pieces and environments with narrative and in like cinematics and character story being able to interweave those is not only an extremely challenging and impressive feat to do so but gears 5 does it flawlessly and to me that is incredibly quote next gen so i want to just start off by saying that i think gears gears 5 is very next gen in the sense that it really evolves what the franchise has been traditionally and it really it really just isn't more of the same, if, if that's kind of your initial impression. Uh, now, let's get into more, some more specific categories, if you can go into kind of like a old-school IGN category of like audio, visuals, gameplay, whatever. So, the game looks beautiful. If we're just talking visuals, the game looks beautiful. It's not the prettiest game I've ever seen in my entire life, but then again, I play on the day one Xbox One. I don't know how it looked on an Xbox One X. I don't know how it looked on like the beefiest PC of all time. But on my standard Xbox One, the game looks incredible. I have zero complaints about how it looks. Um, I know there were reports of like some bugs and some kind of performance hitches. I didn't really experience that. I experienced like a little bit of multiplayer server issues on the first day I played it. But after that, I had 
no ex- no issues with the game performance wise. Oh, other than to say, there are like scenes where it's like you press X to open a door, and it plays like an animation of like someone opening a door. There were some like choppy moments where like it seemed like the frame chopped up like during an animation like that. But if I'm talking about like solid frame rate, just beautiful visuals, detailed environments, car- like texture popping, environments loading, I had no issues with anything. Everything just looked great, played great, ran great. It's a beautiful game. Absolutely stunning game. Uh, again, is it the the most technologically advanced, the most impressive looking game I've ever seen in my entire life? No, but is it in the upper echelon? Is it in like the top ten percent of beautiful looking modern games? Absolutely, it looks incredible. They did an amazing job, and I like. I think a lot of people. Again, another thing people don't give the newer games, uh, near newer Gears games credit for is that they absolutely have kind of moved away ever so slightly from that like wide, beefy, short kind of character design. Obviously, that's a staple of the art style for Gears, um, but I think Gears Five and Four, to an extent, kind of tone it down ever so slightly. And the ways that like Halo Four and Five kind of changed the art style for Halo a little bit, this does so ever so slightly, and it's just enough to where it still looks like Gears. But now everything makes a little more sense when you see like a child or a woman or a village or like some like wor- real world objects we're used to in like our real life world in the gears universe everything just looks a little less jarring a little more normal and i think they did a good job of kind of maintaining the gears art style while also kind of making it a little less absurd which i think you know they deserve some credit for that if we're going to be here talking about visuals and aesthetics and everything now getting more in depth with the gameplay i will say the moment to moment gameplay gunplay the shooting and everything feels as good as ever in gears 5 i love the guns although i will say this is somewhat to my own fault just because I do this a lot in shooters where I find the few guns I like and I stick with them and I don't venture out as much as I should. Um, but I get really fixated on like, you know, the Lancer, the classic Lancer, the Nasher, and like kind of just those staple guns of the Gears franchise rather than really branching out and trying other games uh, or other guns rather. Um, but that being said, I did try to use some other guns at least enough to have some kind of concept of what the variety of guns are like in this game and they are pretty good each one has you know different reload mechanics each one has different shooting speeds different spreads and things like that but they all feel balanced they all feel tight and they all feel like they can fit varying combat scenarios rather than just being uh, an array of guns for the sake of having a variety of, of weapons to choose from um, so the guns look great. They feel great. But here's where we'll get into my first criticism game, which is my first criticism of the game, which is the enemy variety. There is a good enough variety of enemies in the game to fight. Um, I wish there were more like DBs or swarm infected DBs to fight. It seemed like there was more swarm which might be a reactionary move. I mean, it works for the narrative, of course, but it might be a reactionary move because it seemed like some people were a little, like, meh on fighting so many DBs in Gears 4. Uh, But I I like fighting them, and I like having that variety of enemies to fight. Um, But it seemed like this game was very swarm-focused, which in theory doesn't really bother me too much. However, there are certain certain types of enemies that I just really don't like. Uh, Their name escapes me now, but I I think they're called pouncers. But those ones with tails that jump from place to place, and they'll jump on you and they'll swallow you and absorb you into your belly uh they play a big part in the story they they're what kidnaps um uh kate's mom and marcus phoenix and in game four but those enemies you know i'm okay with fighting one of them every now and again i feel like this game has way too many of them there are a lot of combat snares where it's like you have to fight three of them at once and they're just not fun i really don't like those enemies i really hate how unfair it seems sometimes when like 
you just try to roll out of the way and they just jump on you anyway and swallow you and just they can be kind of a pain in the ass to fight like i said one every now and then is not a big deal but there are multiple combat scenarios in this game where it's just like you got to fight three of them at a time and then one massive one or something like that i really hate those the other thing i hate is those uh I don't know what they're called, but those bigger enemies that are protected by those like flying enemies that provide the shield, very similar to like those Halo four and five enemies. Um, the I forget what they're called. The the ones that fly that protect the uh, the big guys with the shield. I fucking hate those. I hate having to kill a minion that provides shielding for a bigger enemy before you can fight the bigger enemy. I hate that stuff. And there's way too many of those in this game, and that's just no fun. Um, but other than that, other than those two enemies and and feeling like there's too many of them. Everything else feels great. The other enemies are great, easy to fight, or and not sorry, not easy to fight, but rather like more fun to fight. Um, and the combat snares, I will say in this game, are again here's a here's a Gears Five evolution example. The combat snares in Gears Five are really excellent because whereas in traditional Gears of War games it feels more like you know the enemies have their side of the, of the battle, you have your side of the battle, and then you hide behind cover, pop out and shoot. This one feels a lot more like a massive open battlefield at a lot of at a lot of combat scenarios, and it's not so much you hold your side, they hold theirs. It's really like there could be enemies from all around you, and you have to be really savvy and really and really strategic about where to take cover and which enemies to knock out first and which directions you're being hit from because it's not always you know the guy in front of you it can be a guy to your left a guy to your right and a guy in front of you so it can be a lot of people from all directions and it really makes combat more dynamic and that really plays into the mechanics of jack the little robot that follows you around because he has all of his own abilities and he can he has two types of abilities that you can have at any moment, the one that affects you and the one that he performs himself. And you have to know like kind of what which ones of Jack's abilities and my stim packs are gonna be able to help me and help kind of serve this specific combat scenario. So you have like it just makes things super dynamic when you have you have that situation of what gun do I want to be using, where should I be taking cover, which which direction should I be taking enemies out from first and what items or, or abilities of Jax should I be utilizing to best serve this specific battle. And so I just, I just really think all of that added up really diversifies the combat scenarios and makes, it makes the moment to moment combat, you know, in a game that's all about shooting and killing over and over again, it just helps keep that really fresh when you have constant new abilities and weapons being added and so many unique ways you can approach a, a combat scenario. Not only that, but there's a lot of optional stealth in this game where you can hide up behind people, grab them from over bunkers, get them from behind, take them out. There's even a an invincibility kind of stim pack you can use at one point in the game that um, that you know makes you invisible. So there's like large crowds of enemies and you're low on ammo, which by the way happens in this game more than any other Gears game. Uh, you can kind of work your way around some more ancillary enemies. I just really love all that variety in combat and, and the way you approach that kind of thing. Um, so that is an excellent thing about the game. Um, and then I guess to really get into the part I care about the most with the game, it's story. I will say Gears 5 story is definitely the most emotional, definitely the most dynamic, definitely the most invested I've ever been in the Gears story. Um, Gears 4 was the first time I really felt this way with the Gears game, which is why I'm such a big fan of Gears now that it's a co now that the coalition's behind it. Um, but Gears 5 takes it up another notch where it's just like, you know, you open up with like, Kate and her kind of post-traumatic stress and her kind of loss and her kind of 
really her just her hurt and her inability to cope kind of with what's going on around her you start the game playing as jd and dell which kind of makes it seem like okay this is gonna be more gears four where you play as the dudes you you kind of continue on their story um but then i really love how after act one it's kind of like a show in like jd's character flaw it's like just because you're playing as a son of marcus phoenix doesn't mean like he is the natural assumed character that you would focus on in this kind of new generation of gears characters it's actually kate you know it's her tie it's her mother it's her story that's really integral to what's happening in this world and you kind of see that shift from like jd kind of being an ass i really liked that they kind of screwed up jd a lot they made him kind of a waste of a character um there in the first act where he screws up he loses the trust of his friends he fucks up his arm he makes people lose their life he makes baird like really you know he makes baird kind of unintentionally have that person killed and just kind of really has that that big slip up moment that makes him an unlikable character and makes him kind of a dick and it makes you kind of question him, which I really appreciated because it's a, it's a really excellent way to kind of hand off the story to Kate and dive deeper into what's going on in her life while also not running into the cliche of like in the new generation of Gears of War, you know, since Marcus Phoenix is an old man and you can't always be playing as Marcus Phoenix, we've changed it to where, you know, Marcus Phoenix's son is now the, the cool badass protagonist. I like that. He's such a stark contrast from his father. He's bad at working together in a team. He's bad at leading people. He's really hot-headed. He thinks he thinks too quick. He doesn't he doesn't think enough rather and he just isn't a good supportive and honest friend and I like seeing that he's just nothing like his father in that regard. Um it really contrasts, you know, kind of the hurt Marcus has where like he lost his wife and he has a bad relationship with his son and his son's kind of a fuck up and, and like his son has a bad relationship with his friends and just, it really makes you invested in these characters because again, you just, you already know these characters, the old characters from the previous games and now the new characters aren't falling into the trap of just kind of being new incarnations of the characters that came before them, which I really appreciated. Now going off deeper into Kate's story, which you get into more of starting in act two, I love how it's like months later, you know, JD's kind of out of the picture and Kate and Dell are kind of out doing their own adventure. And it makes you really love Dell. My one gripe about Dell as a character is that I feel like, you know, they do a good job between gears four and five of making Kate and JD so present and so important as uh, main characters. But I hate that. Like, it's like, it feels like Dell is the odd man out, not because there's not enough of him, but because the narrative isn't so heavily dependent on his life and his personal, you know, his personal troubles and what he brings to the table. He's more of a support character, right? Which I guess is important to have. Um, but I, I was hoping that, well, maybe that means somehow in the next game, uh, Dell becomes kind of the protagonist. And, and that way, by the time we've played these three Gears games, four, five, and six, they'll have had a game to focus on each of these three new characters. Um, but, you know, judging, we'll get into it in a little bit, but judging by the end, that might not be the case. Um, but so going back to act two, I really love how, you know, JD or Dell is such a supportive friend to Kate. He's like, she, she might, you know, be evil or she might be able to be possessed by the swarm. She might be able to do something awful that she's hoping not to do, but she might not be able to control herself. But Dell's still willing to be such a great friend and kind of go through the dark and go on this adventure with her because, you know, he's, he's a good person like that and he loves his friend like that. And I just love that Act 2 goes from, because Act 1 is such a t traditional Gears of War act where it's more of that linear combat, it's more of that basic gun-first combat, and the setting is more like something you've definitely seen before in a Gears game, I love that Gears 2, or sorry, Act 2, is where it's like 
the game pulls out, the narrative pulls back a lot, and it says, okay, now here's what sets Gears 5 apart. And so now JD's out of the picture. Marcus isn't with you for the first time in the franchise. He's he's with you remotely talking to you. And it's just Kate and Dell in this very, like, very vulnerable, very isolated adventure where they're in this big tundra and they're exploring this world together. And it's the first time the Gears series opens up and has those open world aspects. And it's just so cool. You can scavenge and hunt and throw weapons onto the skiff and kind of just explore at your own pace. And it's just really, really interesting because not only does the story just become very isolated and lonely, but the for the first time, the environment and the gameplay itself becomes that. So it really complements the, the narrative and really accentuates that, which again is another example of how I think Gears 5 is a very, quote, next generation game because it does that beautiful balance of, of marrying the narrative with the gameplay itself and really bringing it a step forward. So again, just that really isolated and kind of intimate story uh, that Act 2 evolves into. That's just, that's my favorite part of the story. Act 2 is by far the best. It's it's beautiful. The environment's incredible. The exploration's awesome. It doesn't feel like forced open world just for the sake of being open world because most games are these days. Like it feels not overwhelmingly open world, but open world enough to where it's novel and it feels good and it feels appropriate in the universe. I think the coalition did a really awesome job of knowing how much was enough and not, over, not overdoing it and not making it the new focus of the game, but making it really complimentary uh, to the game. Um, so I just, I really love how the story goes from there. And then Kate kind of finds out more about herself and her mother and kind of her whole situation and then even gets possessed by the swarm and is responsible ultimately for the death of her uncle Oscar, who you meet in, in Kier's four. So that's just a really, I think that's just a really cool thing to kind of put all that weight on Kate's shoulder to like, know that she didn't know anything about her mom. She didn't know anything about her grandmother. And now she's responsible for her, her uncle's death. And she feels kind of isolated and betrayed by her friends. And she's just having this true sense of like, she can't trust anyone. She can't trust herself. She doesn't have a place of belonging. She doesn't have answers to any of her questions. And it really makes you super invested in Kate, which I really love because in Gears 4, Kate has the kind of Dell effect where she's more of a supporting character. But in this game, it just so effortlessly effortlessly makes her the focus and it just it really happens in a natural and unbelievable way that really has you invested in her and then of course as you move in further into the game um you go into act three now this is where i take kind of my one of my two gripes with the narrative which is where j jd and that other guy Foz, i believe his name is they kind of come back um and like want to make up for the wrongdoing and admit, you know, I was a shitty friend. I'll do anything to help. I'm just here to kind of help you on your adventure and help you on your journey and make this right. I'm not looking for an apology. I'm just looking to right a wrong. And I, it seems so much like this was going to be a betrayal. Like, wow, this is really where they're taking the story. Like JD is going to lie to them, help her on this journey, take her back and then turn her into Jin or, and kind of have her turn back into the cog and, and have her potentially arrested for this or detained. And it's just, it's, it was so interesting. That's where I thought the story was going. I thought it was just such a, but, but at the same time, I'm really glad this isn't the turn it takes because I also saw it coming from a mile away. Um, so I, I will say there's a little bit of like a jerky kind of weird narrative stumble where it feels like 
not enough time passed between JD kind of fucking up and them not believing in him and then him coming back into the fold and, and kind of earning back their trust, which uh, to be fair, he doesn't really fully earn back their trust before the events of the end. He kind of just slowly gets them to accept him enough to be a part of the mission again. Um, at first, you know, in act two, I feel like they do a good job of this by showing that three months pass. You're in this new, you're in this new environment and the kind of constant dialogue between Kate and, and Dell really makes you feel like, enough time has passed but when they when they all join back together in act three it doesn't feel so much the same so that's a little bit of a gripe but nonetheless i really like how they take the events of act three and then twist them on their head in act four um so that's what really saves act three for me kind of retroactively now act three is like act two in the sense that it's like more of this open world skiff kind of uh exploration gameplay when you're in that like red desert kind of reminds kind of reminds me of um the planet, uh, whatever it's called, Crate, the salt planet from Star Wars Last Jedi. It looks beautiful. Visually, this is one of the coolest locations I've ever played in any video game, not just Gears of War. This is really awesome. I love those like sandstorms with like the red lightning and the crystals. It's just a very striking environment. It's a very beautiful environment. And Act 3 is, in terms of gameplay, just more of Act 2. It's really fun. That optional exploration, that kind of vast world to explore that makes sense for the narrative. It's very, very good stuff. And then as you get to the end, this is where I was kind of a little hung up. Okay, so first of all, there are a couple of battles towards the end of the game where I feel like it just has some random difficulty spikes. I don't mind dying a couple times in battle and kind of getting better, but there are some battles that feel a little bit on the cheap side, if, if anything, just for like going too long without a checkpoint or just like one too many of those pouncer enemies, something like that. Um, they weren't like infuriating. I'm going to throw my controller against the wall by any means, but there were a couple battles towards the end there where it's just like, all right, this is a little long in the tooth or a little worse than needs to be. Uh, but again, maybe that could just be me because I suck at video games, or maybe that could just be one of those examples of needing to approach a combat scenario differently with different weapons, different abilities from Jack and all that kind of stuff. But there's a little bit of that in the end. But when you get into act four, act four is the shortest act in the game or maybe act one is, but it's one of the shorter parts of the game. Um, but it really, it really comes fast. Like it's just all of that, that wrap up, that kind of final act really happens not like too fast, but in just a very like you'll be so engulfed with what's happening at the end of the game that it just comes and goes before you know it. Uh, and this is where we get into my other gripe with the narrative, uh, which is the big one. This is the big spoiler, which is when Kate's mother kind of comes back and she she grabs both Dell and JD and you have to make that big decision where you can only save one and the other one's going to die. Um, so I chose to save Dell and have JD die. But before I go any further, let me just say this is this is where I take issue with it. Gears of War is a very much we tell you the story kind of game. I don't like in general, I tend to not like games where you choose the, you know, multiple endings. You choose how it goes. I, I don't really like that. I don't I think that's like that's like fake choice power and fake um, agency for the player. I don't understand why people think like. They love games where you get to make the decisions, your decisions impact how the story goes, you get to create your own character, that kind of shit. I, I think that's false agency. To me, agency in a video game is being able to play it how you want to play it rather than like in terms of like the actual gameplay. Um, but when it comes to narrative, I want the writers to create a story and to tell me how it's going to go, you know? I I don't want to create the story myself. I'm not invested in Gears of War because I know what happens to Marcus and his friends and then to JD and his friends. I want 
to play Gears of War because the Coalition has an interesting story to tell me about these characters and I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. But unfortunately, it is one of those, they put the choice in your hands. Um, I almost wonder if it's an, a scapegoat type situation where they want players to argue online about who should have died, who should have lived, so that when making the next Gears of War, they'll know which one to make, you know, which the safer option, because maybe they were struggling with which one to kill off. But again, I think that's lazy writing, and I really don't see that as like an awesome plot twist or player agency or anything like that. I just, I see it as infuriating. So that kind of bugged me actually quite a bit. Um, so I went with JD, or I went with killing off JD and saving Dell. Um, and I will admit, I'm just ever so slightly underwhelmed by the kind of reaction that the characters have, regardless of which one you kill off. I went on YouTube and watched the other alternate cutscenes uh, for if I had let Dell die and say JD. And either way, I was slightly underwhelmed. I get the whole like, okay, we're about to be crushed to our death. We don't have time to sit here more and we have to go. Um, but I just feel like the betrayal, the acting here, the acting up to this point of the game had been so good that I was so, I was just slightly underwhelmed by the kind of the the reactions of Marcus and and Kate and everyone once they find out what happens, you know, kind of in those final scenes. But again, I feel like that's the that's the consequence of doing that kind of player chooses what happens thing, where it's like you're not invested enough in the actual narrative. You're too busy trying to give players the choice, which again is just not my personal thing. It's not my it's not my favorite thing. It's not my cup of tea. But nonetheless. Um, Regardless of who you choose to have live and die, um, it is a really stark ending and it, it is one of those kind of like gut punch endings where like you don't feel good either way. Regardless of who lives and who dies, the credits roll up and you feel like shit because you're invested. They The Coalition's done such a good job of making you care about each and every one of these characters that you, you want to see them all live. You want to see them all succeed. Um, and just to have one of them die really is a big punch in the gut, you know, with Dell, you don't want to see Dell die because again, you, you say, you think to yourself, well, Dell's the only character of this new cast that really hasn't had the spotlight yet, who hasn't had a whole game about his story. I really want to see Dell get to shine, you know, potentially in the next Gears of War game. But if he's dead, that's not going to happen. And then it seems like he's something of a waste because he's only been a supporting character. And maybe that's intentionally so, but that's kind of disappointing to me. And that's why I wanted to, to make Dell live when I played the game because I really wanted to see what happened next for his story. And I really wanted... I really wanted, you know, the good guy to live because he was such a good supportive friend to Kate through all that. Um, and then additionally, it seemed like it would maybe only be fitting for JD to die because he had his arc of like, I was a bad friend. I fucked up. I made you, I lost your trust. And then he kind of redeemed himself in act three by showing back up and, and showing his support and trying to make it right. So to have that kind of her heroic death in a way would almost be like, you know, it's like that poetic story and it, and it kind of just makes it like that beautiful ending, that bittersweet ending of like, at least he died right at the point where like his friends realized like, hey, that's still our friend there. He's still who he once was. He got lost along the way, but like, you know, that like welcome back friend kind of before he has his tragic death. So um, to me, that all made sense in my head when I made that choice. Um, but then, you know, on, upon further thought, it, it only makes it even harder because you think about it. And it's like, 
But Marcus Phoenix has already lost his wife, and now he's going to lose his son, and he already has a bad relationship with his son, which makes it even more sad. And so then you start to think of it from the perspective of Marcus, and you're like, well, how can I kill JD? Poor Marcus doesn't deserve to have any more loss and hurt thrust onto him you know, than he already has had. So then it just makes things even more complicated. Again, it's just one of those very tricky situations, and regardless of which way you go, I was mildly underwhelmed by the kind of reactions that the characters give. And then the story you know, wraps up so fast from there. You fight the final boss and the credits roll pretty much um, before you really get to take in the the impact of what's happened. And so it's a very cliffhangery kind of ending. It's a very much like wait till gear six kind of thing, which is, you know, both exciting and frustrating at the same time. Um, but yeah, I, I, I let, J, I let uh, JD die and Dell live. Um, but now I'm just, you know, it's going to be this thing for the next three or four years where we're all going to be saying, well, what's canonical? Which one's going to be dead when Gears 6 happens? How is this going to play out? And it's just it's just this kind of infuriating thing we have to sit on now. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, in, in its overall sense, I think narratively Gears 5 is a really strong game. It kind of has this um, this ending that's like semi-sweet, you know, it's like it's it's a gut punch. It's rough. It makes you so invested in the characters. It makes you sad. It hurts. Um, but it's also a little bit of a of a a fake out to kind of have the player have to make the decision and to kind of have those responses regardless of who you choose be kind of less than you know less than rewarding. Um, so again, I'm this has left me very high overall on the Gears franchise. I think by far Gears Five is the best Gears of War I've ever played. Uh, and I can't wait for the next one in the next entry in the series. And, you know, if anything, all the all the narrative changes and risks they took and all the gameplay risks they took and the ways that this game is different from every other Gears game, I think for the most part, the pros outweigh the cons and overall it pays off. You know, despite my gripe with the players having to choose that big choice at the end, I think everything really pays off and the game is really fulfilling and really satisfying um, and it's it's the most I've ever cared about a Gears of War game before. So props to the Coalition uh, for this awesome game. And I'm really happy to have experienced it. And I'm really happy that this is, you know, how good this franchise still is after all these years that it's only gotten better. And I'm, you know, it's just a really great get for all of us Xbox fans to have this awesome game, you know, available in a time where Xbox first party output is kind of weak. So let me know your thoughts. I would love to know what you guys thought, especially about the ending, what what choice you made and what your reasoning for that was and how you felt about the emotional reward that comes with who you kill and who you let live. And I'm just so interested to see what other people thought about it. Um, I'm surprised how many people just didn't think twice about it and went with saving JD, which is totally opposite of what I did. Um, but it seems like a lot of people's reasoning was, you know, poor Marcus Phoenix. We can't put him through any more heartbreak and loss. Um, so I'm just interested to hear your thoughts. Let me know what you thought about the game overall. Uh, that's Gears 5, and, and next week we'll just get into our the rest of our regular Xbox on news and kind of regular shit as Gears 5 now goes into um, being less of a new hot topic and more just uh, one of the many great games in the Xbox first-party lineup. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, again, rate, subscribe, whatever the hell it is people ask to do. That'd be great. Engage with me, leave comments, say nice things, and follow me on Twitter at the real Donald Trump Jr. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.